Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week. Welcome back, everyone, to the From the Back Tees podcast. We've decided to uh, put away with introducing all our names every week because you guys are probably like, what the fuck are these guys doing? But uh, this week, we got a big guest on the show. I'll let uh, Reed do the introduction since uh, it's your friend. Uh Welcome to the show, one of my best friends, one of the best people in the world, not only on the golf course, off the golf course, family man, uh, everything you can ask for. Craig, Welty, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Great. Thank you. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for having me on. I've known Craig for how long now, Craig? 20 years? Probably 15 years. Yeah, you were, you were probably... 14 or 15 when we met. Right. Yeah, so hear the backstory. How, how do you guys uh, know each other? Uh, when I played junior golf, uh, I went through a couple coaches when I was young. Uh, a couple guys that Craig actually would know who uh, Tom Sove, uh, Jeff Costin. And in junior golf, people actually end up, um, as weird as it sounds, a lot of the junior golfers kind of move to the same coaches, if you will. Um, it's kind of like a organization or whatever. And uh, I got the word that Craig was really good and especially very good with the short game. And that's where I needed a lot of work. And Craig took me from uh, junior golf to being the uh, top rated putter in the country in college my, my sophomore year. Were you actually the top rated putter in college? Because this hasn't been brought up. Uh, plus for green regulation, my sophomore year, I led the country. So how did you, like, hit the ball 400 yards, great putter, didn't make it? Did you not know how to hit, like, a ball between, like, 200 yards to, like, 50 yards? Between the ears, man. Oh, yeah. At, well, at, one, point, at one point in his prime, he thought uh, it'd be fun to be a cop. Yes. <laughs> this is I true. Told that story. When we I know that. with Reed, we were out at some bar, and Reed told me this story. I've never like I've never been so excited in my life <laughs> because there was something happened outside. There was like a commotion. Reed just jumped up out of his seat at the bar, completely That's ditched right. me, and just ran out like he was gonna go save whatever was happening out there. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a like a twelve year old. Like he was it, like, it's my opportunity <laughs> to live yeah. out my dream. Hubbard would have be been out of caddy. Yeah. So there, there are shots that Reed can hit that I guarantee he sees players fail at every week and knows he can hit that shot. He can pull that off. That's like Tin Cup mentality. I can hit that shot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so was, was there are so many pros on the PGA Tour that would love to be able to do what Reed can do with the golf ball. Yeah, used to, Craig, Craig, let's let's put the verb in there though. Used to be able to. I don't play golf anymore, man. I, I carry a bag for a living. It, it wouldn't take you long to get it back. <laughs> so, was it weird though, Reed, seeing uh, Aaron Crawford, Martin Trainer's caddy, beat him in the so, first two rounds? I'll tell you. I'll tell you a short little story about this. I'm not going to drag on long about it. But I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale for a while, for a little while, a year and a half or so, and. Um, Sorry, the, pu the puppy's coming in. And, uh, He's like stiff arm uh, Heisman, I'm out of the way. That's yeah, right. We don't need to get PETA on our asses. <laughs> that's, Wall that's Wallace. 
anyhow, so I'm living in Scottsdale. Uh, I was playing some of the mini tour stuff down there, trying to make it. And I got paired up with this guy named Aaron Crawford. Okay. And Aaron Crawford at the time, let's be real, was, was a nobody. Like, let's, it's just, just like any other mini tour player out there. Like, they have high expectations, high aspirations. And, but they're, they're, you know, he was, he was a nobody. And I always thought so much of him because he was so genuine, so nice, like, so just, you know, himself. And we were out on tour, I want to say in, we must have been in South Carolina for the RBC because Martin Trainer won last year. He won in uh, Dominican or Puerto Rico, one of the off-field events, and he has a three-year exemption on tour. And Aaron Crawford and I caught up a little bit, and he was working four events for Martin Trainer um, to help them out because they were friends. And then I see he qualifies for last week's tournament, makes the cut, and I sent him a text, dude. It was, it was so – I was so happy for him to see someone go from a mini tour player to caddying to try to learn about the game on tour to then immediately qualifying for a tournament. And it's pretty impressive if you think about that in, in perspective. Yeah, it just doesn't happen very often in the history of the game. Right. That, that a caddy actually gets in there. Right, and so it's, it, it was talked about a lot, and it was uh, – I mean, even, even guys were texting me, you know, hey, Lewis Aaron Crawford guy playing well. Wasn't he catting a couple weeks ago? And it's so true. But you know what, man? People have a good work ethic and are able to be genuine and able to put things in reality and be true to themselves. They often succeed. I feel like golf is also the sport that might have, like, the closest margin between the pros and like the guys playing the mini tour. Like in the NHL, you're not going to have like an ECHL player very often make it to the big, to the show. I think it's been like three or four times. I feel like if you took the entire mini tour field and had them play the same course as the pros, like several of them would at least make the cut. For sure. I mean, dude, these guys on the mini tours have to go shoot 20, 28 to 30 under in a four-round yeah. tournament or 22 under in a three-round tournament to win. Mm-hmm. And while the courses aren't as easy on the PGA Tour, you still have to be able to go shoot 64 or five or six every single round. Yeah, it's madness. Well, before we get into some more golf, Craig, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Well, I'm uh, the head golf professional at Skagit Country Club, 60 miles north of Seattle. Uh, but my main passion is teaching the game and, you know, passing on what I learned from my dad to, to junior players, to college players, to some pros, just people that are really interested in getting better. Uh, my dad taught me the fundamentals as a kid and he has a very small list and um, what every good player does the same, that's what he considers a fundamental. And so, I learned a very simple way and a very effective way from him. And it's, it's fun to be able to pass that along to people. And it's um, what I, what I really enjoy doing, but the, during the wintertime up here, it's, you know, kind of crummy and I, I don't teach that much over the winter, only serious players. And so being the head pro allows me to, you know, support my family all year long without having to stress or travel to go teach somewhere else. 
Yeah, but, I mean, right, for, our, go ahead. for our listeners that don't know about your father, do you want to go on like a little background about Carl? Sure. Um, so my dad uh, started his golf career in San Diego and he worked for Paul Runyon. Uh, Paul was the head pro at La Jolla Country Club and uh, past PGA champion uh, himself. So good week to do that. He beat uh, Sam Snead in the finals to win his PGA championship. And he's, he was like five foot five, uh, hit the ball 230, 240, hit the ball as far with his driver as Reed hits his eight iron. <laughs> and uh, beat, beat the, you know, the Sam Snead when he was in his prime. So it was a pretty cool guy that my dad got to learn from and work for. Um, in Paul Runyon, but so we started uh, in the '60s, '60s at La Jolla, and then Paul's decided to leave La Jolla and come to Sahali near Seattle, oh, yeah. which also hosted a PGA Championship, yeah. 1998. 99? 98. 98. Uh, so my dad was Paul's the first assistant there at Sahali when it opened, and then. Um, kind of bounced around, but loved teaching the game and uh, taught uh, people in Seattle. Uh, got to know Jim McLean when he was in Seattle. Uh, they became uh, best friends. Uh, they taught together until uh, my dad died, pretty much. Um, so then from there, my dad got a head, his first head pro job was Skagit Country Club, the course that I teach at. And that was in 1972. Um, there he met my mom. So luckily that happened. Uh, my brother and I were born. And then, and that was, uh, so he spent 12 years at Skagit. And then in 1984, we all moved to San Diego and he started the golf school uh, at La Costa, right. which was the first golf school on the West Coast. And La Costa back in the day, I mean, it still is nice, but La Costa 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago was a shit. Yeah, it was good. It, it hosted the, the tournament champions every year for the senior tour and the regular tour, so they all played together. And to see all those guys come through every year was really cool as a kid. See my dad work with them. Um, you know, he got to work with uh, – Peter Jacobson, Greg Norman, Tom Kite, Davis Love. Um, and then a couple of his juniors back then were Pat Perez, uh, Todd Dempsey, who won the NCAA championship. They all grew up playing there. Uh, you know, a couple more All-Americans. And he just developed a niche to be able to teach the better player and teach him a simple way and, uh, you know, was – regarded as you know one of the top teachers of you know his generation yeah, what do you think like uh obviously there's some luck in having so many people you coach make it to be a pga tour player but there's also there must be some stuff that he taught maybe it's a uh, proprietary family information <laughs> but was there anything like special that he would teach that no one else would yeah uh he well he would teach less Right. He, would teach, he didn't want uh, simple. Yeah, he didn't want 
someone to be able to think four or five, six things as they're trying to hit a golf shot. Um, so he's, he studied the best of all time. And then he, he loved using video. He started using video when it was movie film. We used to stick our head in this little box and you would dial it back and forth to play it forward, backwards, slow motion if you go slow. So I have all of his videos now um, from the movie film and uh, a ton of VHS tapes of all old tournaments and tournaments he's been to to record people. There, and it, yeah. uh, video is definitely the, the, the main source of information where he, he studied, figured it out, and then what everyone that was great did the same, he taught. But he wasn't going to try to make up some cool uh, term like stack and tilt or <laughs> whatever you might hear that comes and goes. Just so I'd I say there, there's like nothing more you could like just say to like a just an amateur golfer if they haven't before is just to like record your swing and like look at it and then compare it to a swing that your body type could work with. You know, every body type's different, something man. like that. Yeah. But uh, the most important part of recording your swing is that you're recording it from the exact same location that the swing you're comparing it to is. Uh, my dad used uh, camera, ball, target, in line. In line, and yeah. Right-handed player, you got to tilt the camera a little bit. If it's a left-handed, you got to tilt it a little to the lefty. Um. Because those points are fixed. A lot of, you know, top instructors teach and film from the hands line or the foot line or some other spot that doesn't make any sense. Because some guy might set up like this, where some guy's setting up like Fury. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, his, his filming was precise. It was exact. And um, every... If he had a video of someone's swing that was from the wrong angle, it was in the garbage. It wasn't really? worth looking at. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it creates a completely different look of the golf swing, mm -hmm. whether it be plane or setup or attack. Oh, you can make the plane look so much different if you move the camera over a foot one way or the other. Right. And then from the front angle, everything is 90 degree to the target line. Right. Ball. 90 degrees target line. And so if you don't know their target, you really, you're guessing on where to film from. So Craig, after talking about your dad and you, you learned from your father, uh, X, Y, and Z, and how you know, to do this and that, you turn into a pretty good instructor yourself. And for those listening, what are, who are some of the people that you coached on the college level and, and PGA Tour level that some people might know? Well, um, Reed Martin is what I was going to say. Yeah. So I, I went a long time teaching without uh, – I was like, gosh, I, I would love it if, if one of my students won state. I mean, that would be really cool if someone won state. And then uh, – Don't tell me. I wasn't your first, was I? Did Rowitzer win before you? The year before you? Matt Rowitzer? Yeah. Wow. Go to I didn't know that, Nolan. He went to Oregon State. He did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we I think we might have won the same year, Craig. You might have. Uh, yeah. So so I didn't have 
any, and then I had four in one year. <laughs> so it was you and, and Matt, and I think um, Adrian Sam? Claire. Sam? No, Sam never won. Sam's my assistant now, though. Really? He's great, yeah. He's, he's doing awesome. Still, still living up there at Skagit with his mom and dad? He lives in Bellingham. Oh, really? Okay, good. But he's looking for a place right now. Right. So, yeah, he's doing well. He's, he's getting into teaching big time. He's, he's loving it. So, Craig, who, going back to who so, was, Okay, back to players. You want to hear player names? Yeah. When name drop? So I'm sure the listeners would love to hear uh-huh. some of the okay. – the so, so, the first uh, PJ Tour player I ever worked with uh, is a player I used to caddy for, Ben Crane. And my dad coached him before I did. And then I caddied for him his last year on the Buy.com tour and tour school. And then his rookie year on the PGA tour. And then I've filled in caddying a couple times for him uh, since. But yeah, Ben, ben was the first player. And then um, really, it's not my desire to work with the PGA tour player. Because um, I like my home. I like where I live. Uh, I have a great life, great family. I have two kids, three and a half and seven and a half. And my wife's here. And, and it's just hard to leave and come back and leave and come back. So Is Lila seven now? Lila's seven and a half, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dude. I remember she was born. So um, a few years ago, I got a call from... Uh, one of the nicest guys on the PGA Tour, Stuart Sink. And the, the voicemail he left me was like, um, hey, Craig, um, this is – my name is Stuart Sink. I got your number from Ben Crane. I'm a friend of Ben's. And he, he goes on and, like, I'm listening to this, like, okay, like I don't know who you are, <laughs> Stuart. Uh, so he just – I mean, he is so unassuming. He's so humble. He's so nice. Uh, just one of the greatest guys I've ever worked with. We played with him at the RSM this year. He couldn't be nicer, right? Unbelievable, dude. One of the he's, nicest people I've ever met. It's, Everyone loves Stuart Sink. I know he's like, uh, I think even on like social media, on the Twitter follows, it's like Tiger Woods, maybe like Rory McIlroy, then like Stuart Sink and Dustin Johnson. Yeah, he... He said, uh, yeah, he was one of the first guys to get Twitter on the tour. But, I mean, he doesn't use it that much. But just the way he is. uh, So the first time I went to his house, um, his wife, Lisa, she's great, too. She was uh, going through chemo and cancer treatment. And so. I remember this. I flew to Atlanta from Seattle. And first, first of all, he said, Craig, I'm. I'm not going to put you on a red eye flight because I don't like flying red eye flights and I'm not going to make you fly a red eye to work with me. So that's just kind of the good kind of guy he is. And so I thought, okay, I really need to, you know, I got to his house and it was getting late about nine o'clock by the time I, I got there and he, you know, had a car at the airport for me, took me to the house. Uh, so I kind of snuck in thinking, you know, I don't want to wake him up and not only were they up, they were waiting for me. And they had, he found out from Joel Stock uh, and Ben, my favorite food, the short ribs oh, yeah. on, on the smoker. So he had smoked short ribs and he had dinner ready, hot and ready, waiting there in foil, just 
set up at the table and him and his wife had delayed their dinner to eat with me. So wow, that's, yeah, just, just one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I don't care if he's a tour player or just some guy down the street, you're not going to get nicer than Stuart Sink. And I couldn't believe he didn't make the list of top 30 nice guys that I just saw on the tour. Dude, we played with him in the RSM. If I recall, I don't, I don't think he, I think he struggled a little bit. I think if I recall correctly and Kip, the guy that was working for him, yeah. Kip's a legend. Yeah. But the guy that was working for him, him and Stewart, dude, it was like they could have shot 65 or 95, and you would have never known either way. Yeah. And, so and, his, um, his demeanor, his, his attitude, everything is – it's like he's, he gets the big picture a lot better than most people, most tour right. players. Right. But it might be why he hasn't won more, too. How much – how many Ryder Cups? not a selfish type of guy. Two Ryder Cups? Two Ryder Cups? I think, yeah, at least a couple. Yeah. I mean, he was – if you look at his career, he was just like – Steady. So steady. Top tens. Yeah. Yeah. Like my boy. Yeah. And Chucky three sticks. Let's not forget him. Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate steady. Yeah. Craig, he did you go into the grocery store and probably, you know, not get recognized, especially with the mask on. Did right. you work, did you work with Stuart? Did you work with Stuart before or after 2009? After. Okay. So did he give you a little uh, story on the 09 Open? Um, yeah, so he, uh, the 09 Open, he played great. Uh, had his family over there. I mean, he was just, seems like he was just having a good time and just things kind of worked his way. Mm -hmm. And he was, he said it was, it was odd because he was uh, a fan of Tom Watson. Yeah. And he, you know, got in the playoff and he said he just had this calmness, you know, if I'm recalling this right, he just had this calmness about him. Like, he's watching history being made while playing in it. And so, I mean, if Tom would have won that, it, there's nothing in, in sports age-wise that that could even compare to, not even close. Was he 59? I forget. 59. Yeah. Lots of yeah. 59, yeah. So Stewart said he just had this calmness and just, you know, played lights out in the playoff. And, um, just was able to sit back and watch Tom and he said it was just amazing. So, I mean, I can only imagine how cool that would have been. Well, and he's the, obviously like what you were saying, he's like the nicest guy ever, but for a short period there, people were not Stuart Sink fans for yeah. a while. Oh, yeah. Everyone was yeah. pulling for Tom. Dude, I'll tell you this, obviously as, as listeners may know, and you guys know this past year, as my first year on the PGA Tour. And that being said, the RSM was probably our, oh, I don't know, it might have been the last event of the fall. It was, it was the last event of the fall. And I was still rather new, and Stuart made me feel like I had been there for 20 years. Treated yeah. me the exact same as every other caddy. Walked up to me, introduced me on the first tee like I had been there for 30 years. 
And I think that at the end of the day says so much about a person. You know, yeah. it says so much about. Yeah, at uh, the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. At the end of the day, no one's going to really care how many wins you had on tour. Like, no one, everyone just cares about your personality and if you're a good guy out there. Mm-hmm. When it, well, when it comes down to it, man, like, and for, for listeners, like, this isn't to mean to me said wrong, but these guys are out there so much and they compete every week that it, be, it becomes somewhat of a normality, if you will. Like, you know, going to a PGA Tour event is it awesome, absolutely, but it becomes more of a, a business and a job that's how you're making a career and so if someone can step back and be set back in their place and treat everyone as genuine as they can like Stuart does it's pretty impressive man it, it, it really is and for listeners who don't really understand like it, it, it's it's pretty impressive to the fact that Stuart is able to put his career aside put his expectations aside and treat you like a normal human being yes do you think part of it comes down to that he just loves golf still at like his age playing for so long yeah he loves it and he's he's really good at it like he's very his his ball striking is phenomenal and when what he would you can, say the weakest part of his game is Craig well I think in the last like in the more recent years, it's been chipping and putting, and that's what he's he's worked hard on. And I just worked with him on putting. That's it. That's all right. I worked with him on. When was the last time and you worked with him? It's been a couple of years. Right. Yeah. But uh, his coach, uh, Coach Mike, TPC Sugarloaf, he's, he's a great coach, really simple with the way he teaches, and they just, they just click. They're you, good buddies. You, they barbecue together. How do you, um, as another coach, it's kind of something I've always thought about but never addressed. As another coach, say you're a short game coach for Stuart Singh and someone else is a swing coach for Stuart Singh. Do you guys correlate and talk or I mean, how does that work? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But uh, the hard part in my limited experience of what I see is, is if you find another coach out there that sees you as a, as a threat and they have an ego, then it's, it's something that I just want to run away from. I don't want to be any part of that. So I've had to do that. Um, but Stewart's like his coach couldn't have been better, more welcoming, welcomed me to his course and just said, Craig, let me know if there's anything you need. And then, uh, you know, just let me go. And, and then said, Hey, if there's anything you want me to know to remind him of, let me know. But, by no means do you have to. Just, right. yeah, super cool dude. But that's an understanding that PGA Tour players and PGA Tour coaches have that maybe some don't. Yeah. Is there – what's, like, the relationship like with caddies and coaches? Do you, like, interact with Hubbard's coaches at all? When – I I, I can – That was to read, before but you, – Before you start, uh, so – I can speak like when my dad worked with Crane, uh, my dad was on the phone with Crane's caddy as much as he was on the phone with Crane and just made sure the caddy was on the same page. Well, that way he's not hearing some information from over here and then some contradicting information over here, but, um, 
there's got to be there's got to be some communica- communication and, and yeah talk between the two parties yeah and when I caddied for Ben uh, my dad was his coach so it was it was pretty easy right. so how about Hubbard's, Hubbard's uh, so Hubbard's coach is Kevin Kirk, who lives in Houston. Also works with uh, Patrick Reed and Graham McDowell, amongst a few others. And Kevin will come to me sometimes and say, and as rightfully so, will say, hey, what have you seen on the golf course? You know, after talking with Mark and getting Mark's opinion on things and how his game is and where it's at, we'll say, hey, what have you seen? What, what, what are the trends or – uh, what what type of things do we need to work on? But I feel like even if my answers aren't the same as Mark's, it's good for him to get a view of two different sides. So you kind of see two different views and you're able to look at, well, maybe, maybe that's right, maybe this is right, maybe that's wrong, maybe this is wrong. But you're able to kind of attack things from different angles. Yeah. And yeah. so, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think coaches talk much per se. To, to each other? To each other, yeah. Like yeah. say um, – I, I feel like there's a, there's a golf coach and then there's a PGA Tour coach. Right. And if you can get, uh, if you can get a coach that's like a grade school teacher, a high school coach, a, a little league coach, they don't have an ego. They just want to help the kids. Right. And that's the way a coach needs to be too. But I see too many PGA Tour coaches that – have the egos that get in the way and they want to be somebody and make a name for themselves. And it's just, it just kind of gets ugly. It comes with, it comes naturally. And that's the thing. You don't need to do it yourself. And not even everyone wants that, but it just comes naturally. Don't force it. Let it come as it may. Let, let, let your hard work do the, do its own justice and yeah. it'll come. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Moving on from this, we get into a little recent golf talk. I know uh, you guys had the memorial. You've taken a few weeks off. It's the WGC this week and the uh, Barracuda. And then you guys are off to your first uh, major appearance. Yeah, so uh, WGC next year we'll be in, being having our retaining our card. So next year we'll have basically full status to end everything, uh, but the Masters and maybe the British uh, as of right now. Um, uh, that being said, the PGA is both of our first majors, both Mark and I's. I didn't know that. I was talking to him at the Memorial, and I could have sworn he played in a, in a PGA prior when he was on tour in 15, 16, and 17. And I asked him, I said, so how does it feel to go back to a PGA championship? And he responded to me saying, dude, that's my first major. And so it was just kind of a, a sweet moment where both of, I, both of us realized that we worked so hard to get there and everything is going to kind of come to fruition, that we guys got to keep the same game plan and do our same routine. And like, I can't wait. Dude, I can't wait. I'm not even. I'm not even going. This is like so yeah. awesome. I can't imagine what it's like for you. I'm like stressing out your guys' shots. I'm like, oh, Reed doesn't even care. Why am I stressing out? Like four foot putt. I'm sweating it out here. I don't even bet <laughs> on it. Zach, Zach watches. Zach watches shot by shot on Shot Tracer. Every shot, yeah. <laughs> 
And then, and then, and then when they when they messed the shock tracker up, there was some hole recently. Oh. I remember was where yeah. like it had going backwards 180 yards. Yeah. Well, that no, happens a lot when you hit a tree. <laughs> One of the last times I messaged you between Thursday and Sunday going into golf, because now I don't message Reed about golf Thursday to Sunday. I refuse. But Zach, Zach knows that. Like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear anything. Yeah. Thursday to Sunday about good round or this or that. Yeah. The tournament's not done until, until the last spot's done. But there was one week, it was like Friday afternoon, you guys finished your round, and at first it showed you missed the cut. Then it changed that you made the cut by like two shots, and I, I messaged you, I'm like, something like about making the cut. And then like a minute after I sent the message, it recorrected to them missing the cut. I'm like, nope, that's it for me. <laughs> no more. But I the work day. Yeah, but I got to give it to you guys. Like, uh, I mean, we met you, like, I think it was either while you were finishing your year on the Corn Ferry Tour or, like... First, couple... first week of the PGA Tour at the Greenbrier. Okay, yeah, so it was, like, the first week. And, like... and that, was, that was the first top ten ever that Mark Hubbard had on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and we were just, like, we, just to this point, even, like, you making a major, it just seems like week after week you guys are just, like, consistently doing well. And now to be in the major and you're saying, like, in the WGCs next year, it's pretty insane. It's, uh, it's, it's surreal, but in the same respect, you have to stay humble and you have to stay to your game plan and you have to realize that what you've been doing has been working. Or yeah. even, even after that, like, you have to realize what can you get better at? What can you do to go win a major? What can you do to go finish number one on the FedEx? Because at the end of the day, expectations are expectations, but you always want more. Yeah. Unless you're number one in the world. That's what everyone's goal is. Let's, let's be real. It's not like... This is uh, something I, I was thinking about all week. I was even talking about it with my father. So you guys played the Memorial, right? And at the end of the day, the goal on the PGA Tour, obviously you want to become number one. You want, you want to win the money. But I feel like winning a tournament is more valuable than the money you get from winning a tournament. You get way more. So well, dude, if, you, if you win a tournament, you get in every one of the majors. You have a three-year exemption on tour, I believe it is. I think and it's two, unless it changed to three. Is it two? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it might be two. So two-year exemption on tour. Dude, but, but not only with all those accolades comes confidence, man. Like, you step up, you go to the next week, and it's your mindset is so much 180 that you're – I'm going to go win this golf tournament again. So, and as Greg knows, within a golf tournament, confidence is huge. So it's a so golf shot and knowing you're going to hit a 7 iron 184 and land at 183 and release it at what, a yard to the flagstick is so much bigger than, you know, anything else. Yeah. So yeah. my question, though, about that is how come players, like, if you're not in the top 10 in the world, like, Hubbard, why wouldn't you take off two weeks earlier when it was some bigger events with all the top names and play like the 3M and the Barracuda where you obviously have a better chance to win? Like no one does it, so there must be some reason. Some of it's, I mean, some of it's world ranking. Some of it's that you want, because you're getting bigger world ranking points against bigger fields, or better fields, I should say. Uh, and some of it's that we want to be fresh from the PGA. You know, we want to come off two weeks off where he can go work with his coach a couple times, where he can, you know, kind of dial some things in and really hone his game to 
certain aspects that say TPC Harding Parks in the golf for. Um, and if you look at, say, the Rory McIlroy's, the Jason Days, the Dustin Johnson's, in a normal year, maybe not this year because the schedule is messed up, but in a normal year, they will, or Tiger Woods per se, they will take off weeks to hone and tune up for a big event, say the WGCs or Arnold Palmer or what have you, or the players or whatever, the major, whatever. And I think when you get to that point where you are succeeding, you want to put everything you have into the bigger events because at the end of the day, that's your goal and that's what you want to win. And those events have so much more um, accolades to them. Yeah, I figure that's also a part of it. Like when you're playing as well as he's playing, it's like almost you don't want to just like take a not an easy win and like you're so unlikely to win anyways. But like you don't want to take the easy way to getting your first win by only sure. playing like small. I mean, there's some, there's some weeks where, where, for instance, we were either going to play the Rocket Mortgage or take the Rocket Mortgage off and then play – the first three, so then the Travelers, sorry, the uh, Colonial, the Travelers, uh, sorry, Colonial RBC, and then Travelers take the Rocket Mortgage off and then play the Tua, uh, uh, Mirfield, and then this week. But you have to look at rest for one. You need to be able to rest. I mean, we, do, we, play, we played six weeks in a row. And whether I want to admit it or not, we were both gassed. Look, mean, at, Tiger's, look at Tiger's career. And find yeah. six in a row ever. He plays ever. one in a row. Yeah. And the better he's playing, the, and the so less that, he's playing. Exactly. And so I guess that's in, in answer to the question, Zach. When you, when you find out after you've been on tour, like Mark's been on tour for three years prior, but the courses have changed, the fields have changed, the system has changed. But once you find – your core tournaments that you play well at or your core courses you play well at or the fields that where they're going to be or the, 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 the climate where you, whatever it is, and you find what works for you, you don't really want to go away from it. I want to stick to it. And it's more of a routine than it is. Let's go play everything we can and just go, you know, wing it. You know, you want, you want to be prepared as much as you can for every event. Yeah, and, and during those six weeks, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, you were the caddy who took a club out of a bag the most of any caddy on tour. <laughs> Seriously? Who's that? You, so you and, it's, it's, it's a compliment when you get down to it. So you and Victor Hovland, well, Hubbard and Victor Hovland played the most holes in the first six weeks because you guys were two of the only ones to make the cut. I right. think you guys made for five of the six. But Victor Hovland really dominated, so he took less shots. Therefore, you were <laughs> most shots of anyone in a six. Hey, I'll tell you what, that boy's going to be way good in a couple. He's young still, too. Yeah, dude, you should have Mark pay you per club pole. Per now. club pole, exactly. <laughs> 50, cent, Fifty cents a club pole. Yeah. yeah. He might be charging a little too. Not not enough. Read fifty cents a club pole. <laughs> Does that include practice rounds? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So I got a good, I got kind of a good segue. We were talking about like how hard it is to get that first win and how important that is. And last week we see all these guys at the top of the leaderboard who all have like one win and they haven't won their second one in a long time. 
and especially talked about a lot is Tony Finau, who's been very close uh, of late and has been good in majors, but he has not won since, oh, was it 2016, I wow. think? Yeah, the Puerto uh, Rico Open. Yeah, at, at the Puerto Rico Open. So is that, I mean, there's got to be some sort of mental block there. I mean, the guy just looks like a machine out there, and he doesn't look, he doesn't look, you know, baffled or by anything and like he's just always calm and but that's got to be getting under his skin and you know the guys who are in the conversation with oh they, they'll they'll never win a major or the best guys without a major that's that's just got to be something that eats at you so much Craig what's your what's your take on that why do, why, you, do uh, why do guys or I guess a better question is why do players when they're struggling, why do they uh, let caddies go? <laughs> it's never their fault, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, have you heard the have you heard this the female song that that got on Twitter? Did Sam Harrop, I think, is his name? Oh, did he make? I saw he showed up, and then I couldn't find the tweet. I was trying he to make like piano songs, right? Yeah, like the yeah, guy really the good. Piano. And the song he did about Fino, and then Fino responded to it. It was great. Uh, but it talked about how, you know, he just can't pull off that win. And, but it, the guy is really talented. He's pretty so good talented. piano player. But why? The world, honestly. I think yeah. you guys are talking about different things. I think Craig's talking about the piano player, and you're talking about Tony. <laughs> well, both, yeah. They're both really good at what they do. Fino, yeah, he's super long. He can putt. He can hit every shot, uh, but he can't close it on Sunday. Why though? I got a theory. Got a theory, yeah. What's that theory, Greg? Right? Feels guilty. Feels guilty. <laughs> For what? For working on Sunday. Hey, it, could be true. it could be true. But hey, start spreading this. <laughs> if, you, if you look at it this way, and I'll, I'll kind of lay it out how Mark and I had it the first five or four weeks, I guess it was, off the, off the layoff of COVID. Yeah. We went out. We didn't play anything crazy well. Played kind of average. Average, maybe above average, just a bit above average. You know, finishing 35th every week, 30th every week. And you go play four events in a row and you lay, you make every cut. I didn't have a day off, which I love. It's a great problem to have. I didn't have a day off for almost five weeks. And that's including, you know, in my travel days, I would go straight to the golf course and go walk it and face the greens and, you know, go. But end of the day like you get worn down yeah and and you know Finau I think over a career whether it's two years or 10 years or 20 years it's a lot man people look at, at, at the PGA Tour as a glamorous job and it is it is a glamorous job there's a lot more work and a lot more time that goes into it than a lot of people realize yeah but what do Finau and Stuart Sink have in common? Great putters. 
They're tall. really nice guys. <laughs> right. Oh, Fino, we played a practice round with him at TPC Sawgrass. And, dude, I'd never met the guy before. And he acted like I had known him for 15 years. Yeah. Really, they're really nice guys. And when is the last time you heard someone that was the best at whatever it is? Mike Tyson in his prime. Michael Jordan in his prime. Tiger in his prime. No one said, gosh, they're such a nice guy. I always heard Mike Tyson was so nice in his prime. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe hey, he's, he's going to be fighting again soon. Yeah, he's going to get demolished. All Canadians think people are nice. Like, <laughs> Hey, uh, did you guys already talk about, talk about Buster? No. Uh, did you get that picture? <laughs> you saw that picture? Yeah. Reed's hanging with, with – Yeah, we got it. How did that happen? Killer. So, Sidebar. Lorcan Lorcan Morris, who Zach knows and uh, no one knows. Uh, Lorcan is one of the guys, Lorcan Morris, who used to work for Ryan Bram, now works for Ben Taylor. Um, Lorcan has been – he was actually the reason I linked up with Mark Hubbard. Uh, I was in Salt Lake City, Utah in 2018 in August, uh, getting ready to go to Eastern Colorado to go club caddy for the, for the fall at a golf course. And Larkin messaged me and said, Hey, this guy named Mark Hubbard needs a caddy in Boise, Idaho. But Boise, Idaho, the tournament was, I believe two weeks after we Connor Arundel, who the guy I was working for previously, and I played with in Portland, Oregon at the Winco Foods Open at Pumpkin Ridge. And so I had seen him play previously, and his wife was caddying for him. And uh, so long story short, Lurkin called me when I was in Salt Lake City getting ready to go to Colorado and said, hey, this guy by the name of Mark Hubbard needs a caddy in Boise, Idaho. And in my head at the time, I'd been playing for – $600,000 $600,000 purses, $550,000 purses, $700,000 purses all year. And this purse is a million-dollar purse. Not that it wasn't just a purse. Like, it was, that was, that was a, a bonus. But I got to go work in Boise for Mark. And Mark and I were, like, I think, like, T3 going into Sunday and played pretty poorly on Sunday and didn't hit the driver well, didn't hit the T-ball well. But – it's funny how things work like that, man. They, they kind of work out in the end, and, and, you know, you never know when your big break is going to be, per se. Yeah. You could give up or be this close to giving up, and for some reason you stick it out, and you look back and you're like, wow, I was close to giving up. That's what seems for to happen like every week. For listeners – I caddied for this guy named Connor Arundel, one of my college teammates in Europe a little bit. Went to, uh, went to European tour school, caddied a little bit on challenge tour, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, after that, I went back home to Seattle. Moved back home to Seattle. I was an assistant pro at a golf course. And some stuff happened at home where I needed to get away. I went out and started working for Connor Arundel again on the web.com tour. We missed our first 12 cut, or Maybe it was 11. 11 cuts together. Never made a cut. And that whole year, I went through the whole year where I worked for maybe four guys before I worked for Mark. And I think I made a total of five cuts on the web.com in 2000 and the, uh, 2018. And 
Greg's talking about your big, you know, the big break, and you never know when you're going to get it, man. And you just got to keep in, whether it's golf, whether it's a business, whether it's uh, creating your own business, whether it's sales, whatever it is, you never know when that next opening is going to come. And that's yeah. why you just keep put your foot to the ground. You're passionate about. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so it worked out, man. And, and now him and I have an understanding with each other that I never thought I would have the player. You know, it's so relaxed. And he knows what he expects of me. I know what he expects of me. And he knows what he ex- – I know – he knows what I expect of him. And, and you know, that's nothing to do with golf shots. It's just preparation. It's commitment to a golf shot. It's standing up there. It's being on time. It's going through your full routine. And a lot of that's not talked about. A lot of, a lot of the golf is just talked about, oh, what'd you shoot? But when it comes down to it, 50, 60, 70, 80% of it isn't about that. It's about the preparation and what, what goes on before that. Yeah. So we also just got completely off track on how you met Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas, I don't know, I went into Harvard. So Buster Douglas, Lorca, Lorca Morris called me, uh, who works for Ryan Bram. And Lorca Morris, we were, we were in town for the work day before the memorial, and he says, I, I knew Lorca had known Buster Douglas. And he calls me and says, hey, uh, Buster and I are going out to a steakhouse. Do you want to come? And I said, fuck, absolutely. Like, how often do you get to go out to a steak dinner with a guy who shocked the world? in 1990, I think it was 1991, and beat Mike Tyson. I've watched that video 15 times. He's the Y.E. Yang of boxing. 100%. (laughs) What a call. We sat at this this steakhouse for two and a half hours, and our meal probably took us 20 minutes to eat. And we sat at this steakhouse for two and a half hours, and he just told story after story after story about leading up to the Tyson fight, what articles were saying about him during the fight. Like we have our next guest, Reed. Oh, yeah. Come on, make it happen. I'll get Buster Buster on. Fuck yeah, I will. But, so, Buster, I I don't specifically know Buster, but, dude, that that night, I texted my father this that night. I said that was one of the coolest nights I've ever had in my life because – it's hey, from a sport that I know nothing about, that I know no background of, uh, as far as how fights you know lead up to the fight and how the preparation leads up and yada yada yada. And he told story after story after story, and it, I just sat there and I was open ears. So I said about four words the whole night, and I was my mouth my my jaw was dropped. And, Who's bigger, you or him? Oh, uh, he's big. <laughs> He's, he's a big boy. He's probably, he's probably 350, three, maybe maybe even 400 now. Now I his saw the hands, His hands are bigger because his fist didn't look that big. Maybe no, the angle. Yeah, look at these sausage fingers, man. <laughs> these things are freaking short and stubby. That looks like a catcher's mitt, man. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah look at this. <laughs> no, but did, did you tell him about Mexico, though? That would really blow his socks off. Yeah. No, no. Me- Mex- the Mexico story is off limits to the but too far and few between. I like that. Yeah, I'm the entire internet, but <laughs> except except for the podcast we did with all podcast the listeners. So, Craig, Craig, when we were on the podcast during quarantine, sometime we got 
uh, Lorcan, who works for Ryan Brem, but well, Ryan Brem wasn't on, so it was Lorcan and me and a guy named Ed Alt, who's a caddy as well, and Sebastian Capellan and Mark Hubbard, and then uh, Nolan and Zach. Is that right? That was us seven, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And Lorcan told this story about Mexico. Now, I'll tell a short little version of it. And if you want to hear more, you can go back to, I believe it was like April. And there's a big kind of uh, one-year anniversary show. But Lorcan and I, we got rained out of a, a round in Mexico. It might have been a practice round the Wednesday in Mexico. And we went over to Cozumel. And Lorcan thought it was the greatest idea to rent this little fucking car that had nine holes in it. And didn't that, the steering wheel didn't work and the pedals were, there was a hole below the, petting, uh, the pedal. The pedal and we went to the backside of this island of Cozumel. And he thought it was the greatest idea to rip the car as fast as he could go. He's Irish. And long story short, the cops fucking pulled us over and shook us down just as any other story you've heard. And I, we went and got our money back at the courthouse. And But yeah, if you want to hear more about that, listeners, go back to the podcast in <laughs> April, I believe it was. And you'll, you'll hear the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, b- before we finish up here, though, I know I know we got some segments uh, built in that we're really working on. So uh, I'll start with you, Nolan. If you got if you got a tiger fact for us. Yeah, let's get this rolling. Um, I'm gonna try to bring us all a little bit of tiger juice every every week here. So um, I'm gonna be spewing a, a tiger fact for us um, on the podcast every time and. This was kind of meant for maybe like last week or, or the week before, um, but circumstances have have me saying it here um, because John Rom, as we all know, became the most recent world number one. So I saw this pop up, and I think everyone needs to know this about Tiger Woods to put his greatness into a little perspective here. So if John Rom were to remain number one in the world till August of 2033 2033 tiger would still have more weeks at the number one spot in the world rankings than john rom i thought this was a typo the first time i i wrote it down 20 and I just, what 20 what 2033 when i wrote this down at first i just put 2023 because i was like oh yeah like two years that's insane 2033. <laughs> I can't even understand. In 2033, we'll be like living on Mars. That's like. <laughs> in my mind, John Ram is not going to be playing. Like, no one playing on tour right now is going to be playing in 2033. Doesn't make sense. Reed will still be caddying, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? Because he's like. Caddies don't retire. I was talking to Fluff at Colonial. Okay, I was talking to Fluff at Colonial, and hey, when we came back in June, we were sitting down eating lunch. It was might have been going into the, the, the final round. And I said, Fluff, when was the first? When was the first? How long have you been caddying, basically? And I don't know exactly how it went. I said, How long? Old man, Tom Morris. <laughs> Dude, I think he said it was like 1978. Yeah, probably. And the guy said he's been in like 115 majors or something like that. <laughs> think about that when there's four majors a year Dude, I want to know who's the, who's the most accomplished caddy of all time like wins and majors. it's got to be Steve. it has to be yeah. Stevie huh? yeah I think so. 
But that had who, something to do with his player, but he was pretty good himself. Who yeah, what, what about what about what about Jim McKay? Yeah, but he was only with Phil. Then there's there's guys like Andy Martinez. Yeah. Who were with generations. Yeah. Johnny Miller, Peter Jacobson, uh, Tom Lehman. That's what I'm but saying. Still the wins. Tiger just can't be Tiger. True. Right. Reed, this could be you. This is why. This is why you have to start. Reed, getting how many wins do you have, uh, Caddy? How many wins do I have, Caddy? At any level, yeah. That one. One. What? Me one. too. Oh no, two, two. You have two. The very first time I caddied for Crane. Seriously? It was a Pepsi tour event. I was still in college. I was on my winter break, and I was down practicing at my dad's in Palm Springs. My dad worked for Jim McLean, or at, he taught at the Jim McLean Golf School, PGA West. So we were there, and Crane's like, hey, Craig, you want to come caddy for me in this Pepsi tour event? And I was like, sure. And so uh, we go to San Diego, and he shoots one under on the front nine and looks at the scoreboard, and Mikey Perez, Pat's little brother, is in with 65. So he's like, ah, let's – Let's just quit. Let's let's just head back to your dad's and practice, and I'll get ready for this season because he had the upcoming buy.com season. And I was like, "Come on, we we drove all this way. Let's let's at least stick it out. Let's play the back nine. It's only two hours." He said, "Oh yeah, you're right. You're right." So he parred ten, and then he birdied eleven, birdied twelve, birdied thirteen, birdied fourteen, birdied fifteen, birdied sixteen. Birdied 17. We get to 18, and it's a par five, and he bombs a drive. He's got – he's, like, so wiry and excited. Like, he's, like, giddy. Bombs a drive, knocks it on the green. I'm keeping the scorecard. I'm writing the scores down. And he goes, Craig, uh, I don't know. I don't want to know anything. Just – but tell me if this is for 59. And I was like, well, Ben, you only shot one under on the front, so that's kind of impossible but let's just make the putt. So he, we read it, got focused, drains it, eagle. So he shot nine under on the back nine. No. And at that point. Uh, 27? He goes, yeah. He goes, Craig, anytime you ever want a caddy for me, you're my guy. <laughs> <laughs> so You got a spot. When I finished college, that's when I played that summer of competitive golf, and then I went and caddied for him. But. Yeah, that was – I've never seen fire like that on a course. What do you, what do you think causes that, Craig? Like when, 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 when players get on a roll like that, I mean, I've been a part of it. No, yeah. Ben, or whatever, but what causes it? Ben has something special. And uh, another guy that I've worked with a little bit, Joel Damon, he has the same – Damon. Joel Mark is, plays with Damon so much in practice rounds. He's great. Great guy. Unbelievable and player. Phenomenal golfer. Just, yeah, he's overcome a ton in his life. He's just, he's hilarious. He's just a great dude. Uh, but Joel and Ben, when the tournament's on the line, they want to be in contention. They, they thrive under what most people call pressure. They, they like the heat. They, they like their back against the wall. They like it when they have to make birdie. Joel um, said, if 
if he could just get paired with Rory every Thursday, he'd, he'd do way better because he'd be like pumped to try to beat him or to, right. to beat him. And most players get paired with Rory or Tiger and they want to kind of cower away and just. Yeah, they shit themselves. So the, the players that want the, the ball when it counts, like Michael Jordan did, Ben Crane, same way. He, he loves – Crane is so competitive. Everything he does plays – every game he does, he's playing it to win, and he's going to win at all costs. It's just the way his – Is he retired now, Craig, or is he still playing? No, he's, he's home in um, – uh, Home is Oregon? No, home is Nashville now. His parents live in Oregon. Right. But he – yeah, he'll, he'll play again. He's, once he gets healthy, he will play – you know, with his status, he's not going to get too many events this year. But, um, yeah, he'll he'll play again. He's he came up here uh, two weeks ago and brought his eleven year old boy, and he stayed. His eleven year old stayed here with us for three nights, and we worked on his game. And who was uh, who was in that skins game down at Chambers Bay when my parents and I came and watched? We yeah, it was, uh, it was it was it was Ryan Moore and two other Ryan guys. Moore, Bubba. Baba, uh, Baddeley and Crane. Yeah. yeah. So Baddeley's caddy now, and I stayed together at the RBC. Okay. And it's funny when you put it in full perspective that I was there watching. I'm sure he wasn't working for him then, but you put it in full perspective if you're watching Aaron Baddeley 15 years ago or 12 years ago or whatever it was, and now you're that now you now you're staying with this caddy. <laughs> And yeah. you're in, you're in the mix. It's surreal. Yeah, it's surreal. Yeah, so. that was a cool event. But yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Joel Damon won coming up. Right. In the next year. Right. He's just he loves he loves it when it means something, and I could see him getting in contention and then just thriving. His caddy and I are very good friends. In the fact of like whenever we see see each other, it's. Uh, Full conversation and how you doing? What yada yada? You know, you know Gino. Yeah, Rehorn, Gino, Joel, and I went to Bandon this summer. No shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna text Gino as soon as we're done. Yeah, he's Gino is one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Ever, he's, ever, yeah. ever. <laughs> All right. Well. So I, I have a I have a trivia question. So we we, we do trivia's, uh, Craig. We're, we've started doing trivia's about the uh, the state or the city that the PGA Tour is in that week. Because okay. Reed is low-key a geography buff, even though you Love geography. wouldn't know it. Oh. So this week they're in Tennessee at Memphis, uh, which next year we will be in. And Tennessee has the – Second most lakes of any state in the country. What's first? Oh, I feel like it's Tennessee has thirty. It. Tennessee has thirty-eight hundred lakes. I'm pretty sure I know it. I feel like it's obvious, but <laughs> who guesses first? Let's see it. Let's hear it. Whoever. I think I got it. Okay, I'll go with uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, okay, my next, I'm go last then. Okay. 
See, part of me wants to say Minnesota is so obvious that I'm going to go with Alaska. Is Minnesota so obvious? Just I just know because I know the Los Angeles Lakers. There's no lakes in L.A., and they were in Minnesota before. <laughs> For all of our listeners, I hope you took the obvious answer. It is um, <laughs> I didn't even get the answer, but it sounds like I didn't it. even get the answer. I was gonna say, oh, I was shit. gonna say Alaska. I was gonna guess Alaska. Were you? <laughs> Alaska. I think Alaska was third. I uh, Michigan is close to. I mean, if I couldn't say the the same state, I out I outthunk it, man. I'd like to hey, say random, my, uh, random, uh, random trivia question that I know off the top of my head. I love trivia. Zach knows this. Name the two colleges in the country – or let me rephrase that. Two college football stadiums in the country, in the USA, Zach, that oh, are located on the water. That are located on the water. Well, U-dubs is like – I mean, I don't know if you call that on the water, but, it, yeah, it's right on – It's on the water. Yeah, okay. All right. In the What's South the other Pacific one? Hawaii University. <laughs> no. it's, it's UW in Tennessee. Tennessee's on Tennessee River. Ah. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, you love that. your trivia. You should have saved that one. The the only it's the only two colleges in the country that sit right on any body of water. Yeah, they call it sail gating. At yeah. UW. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all the boat all the yachts come into the south part of the north the north part of the stadium. Right. And watch the watch the game. Yeah. Wow, it's a good well, time. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Craig, for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you making the time. It was a great hour spent with you, and I'm sure we'll have you on again if you'll have the time to join us again. If Reed didn't yeah, I, too much. I can. Yeah, I've got some, I got some more stuff up my sleeve that I could share. Oh, nice. Let's, hear, let's hear it, Craig. What, tell, us, tell us, to end the show, tell us one story that people may not ever think of. It could be out of the left sock. About me or about someone else? Anything. <laughs> uh, well, you got me thinking it, trivia. It could, it, could, it could be someone you coach. It could be someone you caddy for. It could be a junior you coach. It could be some guy that hit a 340-yard bomb in the snow on 16 at Skagit Valley. <laughs> Plug. Plugged. Uh, no I my dad loved trivia but one of his favorites was uh, most professional wins of all time golfer or what golf it's Sam Snead no it's an it's an LPGA isn't it I would have guessed Sam Snead no. So my dad would he would ask his trivia and then he wouldn't tell you until next week. I like that. I like that. That's like my dad. He does that too. That's the yeah. style. Make yeah. you win. Yeah, most most professional wins. Annika Sorenstam. It's I don't know who it is, but I think but it's you a know girl. it, right? You you kinda know it. <laughs> no one's got it. Seriously? You're looking it up? I should look it up, but I won't. No, I like this. You just don't give the You answer. are correct. You are correct. Everything you've said, Nolan. Close. Her name is Kathy. 
Whitworth. Kathy Whitworth? Yeah. How many? You've never even heard of her, have you? She has like sure. over 100, right? This is not good. We're going to have to cut this for, uh, so we don't it's, get It's not too many more than Sam's need. Yeah, it's like 90 or 100 or something. Yeah. What, what time frame, Craig? Uh, 70s and 80s when the LPGA was just booming. You know, she's probably getting 5000 a win back then. <laughs> Maybe less. I'm not sure. Jeez, now we're really going to get canceled. We are going to get canceled for not knowing. She won 88, 88 tournaments on the LPGA. Okay. Wow. Oh, but professional wins is 98 because she won some on the Legends Tour. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're She's right. 80 years old now. Yeah. There's no, like, mini tour player who's won, like, 400 times. Does that not count? Uh, I don't know that there is. More than that. Dude, those things are hard to win. What are you talking Chad about? Chad Campbell. How many wins does Chad Campbell have? Ten. But on the Hooters tour. <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. One, hey, Craig. Craig, one more trivia question since you have so many from your father. Okay. Oh, one more? One more. Um, Reed, I like that you put your guest on the spot, so it's not me. Hey, I've known this guy. Well, maybe this isn't a trivia, but I will share with you. Um, fun fact? Yeah, his number one fundamental in golf. Oh, I'm taking notes right now. Grip. The grip didn't make the top 30. Mental what? game. Reed, did you talk about my grip? Did you tell these guys? Oh, Wait, before we end, we need, yeah. they know, I told them about it. For the listeners, we need to go into this really quick. Really quick. Craig Welty, who is our guest tonight, has the best cross-handed grip swing I have ever seen in my life. He is a right-handed golfer, and his right hand is on top of his left hand on the grip. Picture that. There's for sure two players that are a lot better than me. Who? Uh, Josh Broadway. Never heard of him. Played the web. Had, had a pretty good career on the web. Never quite made it to the PGA Tour, but came close several times. And then uh, Patrick Welsh. He's, he's a good buddy of mine. He's in college. Just finished his sophomore year at Oklahoma. He was an uh, All-American his freshman year. The kid's a stud. He's from Rhode Island. Canada, huh? Yeah. Do you, have, do you have a video you can send us so we can put it up with our link on the page? Of me? Of your swing, of your cross-handed swing. Maybe, yeah. Send us like a nice photo. We'll make it the cover photo. Greg, I'm following you right now on Twitter because your name is Crosshander. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was, the number, what was the number one fundamental? Did we already go over oh. this? Yeah, read guess grip. Do you guys have any guesses? I thought you were just going to say, like, you'll never know. That's, like, our secret. <laughs> you will know. I mean, you're going to hear it, and you're going to be like, no, come on. The mental game. I'll say no. al- alignment. Alignment. No. It's going to be something stupid simple. Okay, so Same this is something. So think about what, what a fundamental was to him. This is the top ten players of all time in the game. They all do this the same. So it's not posture, because look at Jack Nicklaus. Right. Yeah. And my posture right now is shit. Yeah. But is it a key? Is it a key to 
Yeah, look, yeah. look at you like, sitting on the couch. Tempo? Like oh, tempo. I love Greg. No, it's, it's hitting the ball in the center of the club face. I don't care <laughs> well, if it's when a you putt. put it like that, Craig, it's super simple. Dang it. Yeah. I thought it was going to be hydration. <laughs> Putting the ball in the hole in the least amount of shots. Uh, another one, another one that I don't know if it made his top 10, but uh, sleep. Sleep is huge, man. And Ooh, bam. Ooh, bam. People, people don't realize the aspect of routine that comes in on the PGA Tour, playing at the same time, practicing at the same time, eating the same way, preparing, well, going in before a round of stretch or what have you. Any, remember any, when you had that tee time of 2.22? Yeah. Like a few weeks back? Yeah. And you're like, dang, I'm t- I don't know what to do all day. Did I tell you what Crane did? No. Crane, somehow, he's a really good sleeper. He, no matter what, his, if his tea time is 7 o'clock, he wakes up at 4 o'clock a.m. If his tea time is 2.22, he would sleep in until whatever that is, 11.22. Really? That's yeah, when I get to the golf course. I, I leave for the golf course three hours prior. Nobody shows up earlier to the tournament than Reed. Ever. We got there. There were, like, people ready for their morning tea time getting ready or reading, like, four hours <laughs> yeah. later. I remember one time – you guys got to go. Okay. One quick story about Reed. Uh, we were at the Rose Hours tournament. This is a professional tournament, but some amateur, amateurs playing it in Spokane. And I don't know what Reed said to his dad, but basically I think he told him to F off on the range, something like that. And I see his dad over by the car in the parking lot. And it's my tea time. Like, I've, I got to go to the tea. I got to tea out. I'm going to be late for my tea time. And I see his dad. And I knew Reed was – I think he was seeing off the other nine, maybe at the same time, or maybe a group after me. And I said, uh, Casey, what's going on? And uh, he's like, we're not playing. I, I remember like, this. I remember this. He goes, we're not playing. And I was like, you just drove six hours to Spokane to – for, to play in a golf tournament, you know, for Reed to play. Why, why aren't you playing? He's like, he needs to learn how to respect me. And uh, he was mouthing off. And so we had this, like, quick heart-to-heart conversation because I was late to the tee. And I was like, look, okay, he's a good kid. When you're not around, he's, he does the right thing. When I know you guys, you know, <laughs> go at it from time to time. It's not – it's not that big a deal. Let's teach him the lesson on the course when you're out there playing. And he's like, some, something, somehow, he's like, okay, okay, you're right. We'll, we'll go play. And you played. I'm sure you played pretty well, but I, I forget what you shot. I almost, I almost won Rose Hours one year. Yeah, it, it might have been that year. You were playing really well that, that, at that time. That's what I uh, shot 29 on the front nine. That was your peak. Ouch. He still hasn't peaked. Yeah. Well, look at this guy. You can make it, Reed. Have faith. No, 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 no. The champion no. tour is this. Yeah. Champion tour. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Jordan Spieth will be on the champion tour with him. Yeah. <laughs> right. for him. You know, to end this all off, it's it's surreal to go from a junior golfer to a high school player, 
to working with a guy who works with the PGA Tour players to a college player to a guy who tried to play professional golf to someone who has now switched careers, become a caddy and on the PGA. It's surreal in the aspect of if you put your mind to something and you, and you dedicate your time and you want to be something, you can be something. And the star of a podcast. Exactly, that's where I was going. It could be a podcast. It could be a book writer. It could be a scientist. It doesn't matter, man. If you dedicate your time to how it should be to succeed in that expertise, it can be done. Yeah. Well, I, I could leave the fans with this. Like, Reed, last week, he messaged me because we were talking about the podcast. And Reed's like, look. I know the podcast is taking a lot of time. I'm putting a lot of research into it. If you want me to drop my career as a caddy for the podcast, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm like, no, Hubbard needs you. You've got to do it. So Hubbard could thank us later. We let him keep his job. But he was so willing. But thanks so much, Craig, for uh, coming on. Like we yeah, said. Thanks, for Craig. Pleasure, yeah. Thank you, guys. Hey, I'll say this before we leave. This is one of the best pods we've had. It's so golf-oriented and so so uh, relaxed that it's just – it's more flowing and more – it's easygoing. I love it, Craig. You're welcome on. Welcome on anytime you want. All right. See and you guys we'll next again. week. <laughs>